Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. K-O-N-E Lubbock. The Red Raider Outfitter rockin' pregame on 101.1. The Beard, starring News Channel 11's Pete Christie. Inside the Red Raiders publisher, Jarrett Johnson. The Beard sports director, Sean Dillon. And host of the Rockin' Pregame, Jeff Scott. Well, Merry Christmas. Here we are on Christmas Eve, the uh, the Christmas Eve edition of the Rockin' Pregame. In our stocking today, coming up on the Rockin' Pregame, we'll review the new additions for the Red Raiders after National Signing Day. Plus, Eric Haslam and Michael Hunter return for the latest from the Rockin' 25 college basketball poll. We've got predictions on which team will win the bowls for the next week. We'll talk about the Liberty Bowl, of course, with Texas Tech and Mississippi State. Pete will give a Lady Raider update, and we'll tackle the full-court press. But first, it is time to get the temperature of the Red Raiders with... This is the Red Raider Outfitter Rockin' Pregame. Let's get going with the Rockin' Reality Jack. Yeah, how can you not be in a good mood on Christmas Eve? And maybe I, I, I'm feeling pretty positive right now. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's just the Christmas what? spirit. It's that Christmas time of the what year. What a present. Yes, I know. Isn't that nice? Jeff. I know. No, but I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, you know, I'm excited about Christmas, but also feeling good about the Red Rears, particularly football. I'm I'm really excited about the energy around Joey McGuire, and I think we've been saying this for every week since he's been hired. But man, there's just so much happening, so many things that feel good. And for even a, a Grinch like me, <laughs> you know, my my heart has grown in size. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm really excited about football. I can't wait for uh, I can't wait for next season to get around. Uh, you know, basketball. You know, there's still some things. I mean, you know, still, still excited about Red Raider basketball. But um, you know, it's about to get man, it's about to get crazy with the conference coming up. Yeah. I'm not quite sure how I feel about that yet, but definitely optimistic, feeling good about football, Pete. Well, I guess my my, rea- my reality check is just uh, I want to wish our, our listeners out there a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, in case you don't join us New Year's Eve next week, uh, you know, year six of the show. And, uh, you know, we, we appreciate you guys listening every week. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm excited, too, Jeff, about football, about basketball, tech baseball, preseason ranked number four. So a lot of things to be excited about with uh, Texas Tech Athletics and and just, you know, living in Lubbock. I know, uh, you know, there's a lot of crazy things going on out in the world, uh, you know, COVID and all those things. So, uh, you know, I'm just thankful uh, for, for what I got and uh, what I don't have, uh, which is COVID. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm appreciative Better for all that. Way, so, uh, you know, good good things ahead in 2022 and uh, looking forward to it as a, as a Red Raider fan. And you're too blessed to be stressed. Always. Okay. Always. I kept waiting for you to say that. Well, I, that's yeah. true. I left yeah. that out because yeah, yeah, I was yeah. too blessed to say it. All right, Jarrett, Rock and Rowdy, check. Yeah, I echo a lot of what both the fellas just said about uh, being thankful and grateful and wishing everyone a Merry Christmas. I also want to point out, you know, I think you know, for me personally, I've had a lot more uh, anxiety here just from things happening in my life, but that's also made me aware that uh, through COVID and just some of the things we've all experienced together over the last couple of years have made a lot of people anxious, to be quite frank. Um, and I, while it's a merry time, uh, I'm going to hug my son. I'm going to be with a bunch of my family uh, over Christmas time. There's a lot of people out there that are uh, that are hurting, 
that are desperate, uh, anxious. And I just want to say you're not alone. I've learned one thing this year is that people need to know that they're not alone sometimes in their suffering. And uh, my unsolicited advice would be push through it, persevere, and there'll be better days ahead. So with that, I want to switch gears here a little bit and say my rock and reality check is my favorite Christmas movie is Christmas Vacation because Clark (laughs) W. Griswold, man, (laughs) him and the lights and all of his, the chainsaw with the neighbors. Or I just, I don't know. It's it's the best, you know. And then Cousin Eddie coming in, you know, and stealing the show. I just, yeah. ah. Clark, it, it's the gift that gives the whole <laughs> It is. <laughs> exactly. So I, I want to hear what y'all's favorite Christmas movie, movies are. Well, I tell you, you know, I, I always, uh, I love Christmas Vacation. I've actually mm-hmm. seen that. That has been on, like, every night, it seems yeah. like, this month. Yeah. I bet I've seen it ten times so far this year, but I love it. So, yeah, that's, that's a favorite. I love Elf. That's, that's a good oh, yeah. one. Elf and then I'm, I'm a classic movie guy, too. I love the old uh, Christmas, like, black and white Christmas movies from, like, the 30s and yeah. 40s. Yep. There's a lot, of, a lot of good ones, like uh, the a Christmas Carol from 1938. It's one of my all-time favorites. So, yeah, I am, man, listen, I've even gone on record. I have watched more Hallmark Christmas movies this Whoa. year than Whoa. I ever have. And, and I'm, you know, I'm comfortable enough in my manhood to admit that. <laughs> All right. But it goes back to what you were saying, though. This last couple of years of anxiety yeah, and yeah. just worry yeah. and stress, uh, those Hallmark movies, I used to make fun <laughs> of them. Yeah, and, and for people who watched them, I made fun of them. But I find myself weirdly drawn to them this year because it's just two hours where everything works out. You feel good, <laughs> some nostalgia. There's a have a good cry, it, Jeff. Yeah, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't gonna go there. <laughs> no, That's but uh, I, know I love you, you man. I know what you no, mean. No, but but there is. There's just something about them that I. It's it's stupid, but man, I I just I, I just watched some of those this year, you know. So, that, yeah. but those aren't my favorites by any stretch. Okay, my favorite, my wife will stop it no, no matter where it, wherever we are scrolling through the thing, she'll stop and she'll always play White Christmas. Oh yeah, yeah. because White Christmas, you know, Bing Crosby, just a standard classic. It's it a is classic, and it's just one of those things, Danny Kay. You know the the whole feeling, the snow at the end. You know, it just yep, it just feels like. Uh, Christmas. Uh, my rock and roll reality check is real simple and easy. It is, it's a bowl game. And the Red <laughs> Raiders are in a bowl. Yeah. And I've been saying all year they would go to the bowl. And I'm saying again, they're going to win the bowl. This right here is a team that it it's like what Jeff said, you know, a couple weeks ago, bringing back the danger to Lubbock. Yeah. And this team, what do they have to lose? No one has them winning this game. Nobody has them. You, you know, do. Yeah. <laughs> you have for years, man. So they're bringing the credit. danger to Memphis? They're bringing the danger to Memphis. <laughs> You've got a coaching staff with nothing. To Who lose. spiked the eggnog? Come on, guys. <laughs> Before we go to break, I want to say Scrooge is a low-key uh, Christmas great, too. Very I love nice. that. That is yeah. very nice. And is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Yes. I think yes. it is, too. See, I'm 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 not I'm one of those people that, that just is not a Christmas movie for me. What about when he, he ho ho ho? Now I have a machine gun. See, no, I, mean, I, I get it. It's cool. It's a great movie, but I don't watch that movie as part of right. my Christmas no, movie. No, I, I, I hear you. I'm just you know funny. nothing is better than when you know Nakatomi Tower. Yippee ki yay! What yeah, I yeah. can't yeah. say. Yeah, yeah, really. Yeah, please don't say that. That'll be our last show ever. Uh, it'll be my last be show. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Hey, Pete, did you say what yours your favorite yeah, movie? Oh, I mean, you know, TBS play the Christmas story over and over yeah, and you know, putting your tongue up on the pole yeah. and all that stuff. I mean, 
That's classic stuff. That's a good one, too. I forgot yeah. I forgot to mention that, but, yeah, I watch yeah, that one a lot. I just want to also say, six years. You guys have been great partners and friends, and it's uh, a brotherhood here. And uh, we appreciate our listeners and you guys for uh, sticking around for us. Yeah, that is right, and I think we will all agree with that one. So um, a lot of stuff to get to today on the Christmas Eve edition of the Red Raider Outfitter Rockin' Pregame on 101.1. The The Red Raider Outfitter Rockin' Pregame on 101.1. The Beard, starring News Channel 11's Pete Christie. Inside the Red Raiders publisher, Jared Johnson. The Beard sports director, Sean Dillon. And host of the Rockin' Pregame, Jeff Scott. Time to look at the Texas Tech offense. We're going to take a look at the offensive players that head coach Joey McGuire has added for the Red Raiders in the early signing period. So, uh, Jared, give us a rundown. Yeah, I mean, offensively, look, I think the first guy I look at is Bryson Donnell, the running back out of Tyler Legacy. Um, used to be Tyler Lee. You know, he has really good size. Um, you know, he shared uh, the backfield with another Division One player, uh, but still put up great numbers. My thing is he does a little bit of everything. That's what I like the most about him. A three-star guy, highly rated. Um, he's a good receiver. Uh, he has the chops in terms of running between the tackles. He also has more breakaway speed than, uh, you know, like a Taj Brooks. That's who he reminds me of. I've said that before is Taj Brooks, but he's not quite as big, though I think he's already, he's already like 200 pounds. But he is a little bit quicker than Taj. So that's who he reminds me of. He's a guy who can be a bell cow type running back for you. So, I mean, that sounds pretty good to me. I don't know about y'all, but they could always use another you oh, know, yeah. stud running back. So is this a guy that comes in and is able to play right off the bat? I think, think he could, he but they, they actually have enough talent that he can sit and develop. I mean, like Cameron Valdez is a guy who came in, and when we saw him, he was impressive mm-hmm. as a runner. Yeah. But they didn't need to throw him out there as a freshman. You know, he's able to develop and uh, got a couple snaps, and then I look, I look for him to be a big deal Cameron Valdez moving forward. But you have Brooks, you have Sir Roderick, you right. have Xavier, who, I mean, people say, oh, is he really that good of a running back? He averaged like seven yards a carry this past yeah. year. I mean, you know, he's a, he is a good running back. So. He's, yeah, he's quietly yeah. been one of the more dependable guys, I think. He's not the flashy running back, right. but he just gets the job. He's just straight-line yeah. speed. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, so I, I don't have a problem with that. And then receiver, you know, we're so we're so used to tech signing these large receiver receiving classes but they just didn't need it this year. This, I mean, there's a reason why they didn't. They didn't need it. But Tyler King, 5'10", 175 pounds, uh, you know, coming in from the Houston area. Man, speed, speed, speed. Just like a slot receiver type guy. He is a slot receiver kind of guy. But, I, I mean, as Coach McGuire mentioned on National Sign Day, I mean, he ran like a 10-1, 100-meter, which is like, that's blazing Speed. Um, I mean, he will be one of the faster guys in the Big 12, and that's saying really? something. Really? Wow. Yeah, that's that how is, fast yeah. Tyler King is. So, and what's interesting was that just two days before signing day, he told me he was going to wait till February, but then they got him to change his mind, and uh, he did sign, uh, you know, during the early period. So he is going to be a Red Raider. And then three offensive linemen, and that's, let's be honest, I mean, Coach McGuire has made no bones about that what he wants to fix first in terms of personnel is in the trenches on both the offense and defensive line. So they signed three during the early period. Seth Martin was a guy who announced on signing day, he was a former TCU commit, 6'3", 290 out of Everman, which, you know, it's not like, I'm not talking about Katie or 
whatever, uh, South Lake Carroll. But Everman has had their day. They've produced a lot of athletes um, in the Fort Worth area and a lot of uh, guys from the offense and defensive lines. They're, as Coach McGuire said, they're known for having a toughness about them. And I really like Seth Martin. He came on an official visit, I think, for the Oklahoma State game, was blown away by the coaching staff, by uh, Coach McGuire specifically, um, the, the fan base. And, you know, he, he decommitted from TCU on the drive home or the way home and, you know, pretty much figured he was bound for, uh, for Texas Tech. And, indeed, he is. Uh, two other guys on the offensive line. These are longtime commits. Caden Weatherby, 6'6", 295 from Colorado. He missed his whole senior year with the torn labrum. Uh, but he is an early enrollee, um, and he told me he expects to be 100% um, this spring. So we'll be able to see him in action and see, you know, I mean, look, all these freshmen, I don't care how good you are on the offensive defensive line, even if you go against, like, mediocre college guys, and you got to catch up to the speed of the game and everything, the strength of, uh, uh, of it and everything. So it, there's an adjustment period, but it'll be interesting to see how Weatherby does uh, this spring. And then finally, uh, Sheridan Wilson from Argyle, which is a program I think most Red Raider fans are probably familiar with. They've produced, uh, you know, some athletes for, for Texas Tech here recently, and Argyle's, you know, won a state championship here just uh, last season. Uh, he's 6'5", 275. He's an Under Armour, uh, like, all-American game practice participant. Um, so that's a big deal. It's a big honor. Um, landing him when they did, and this was the previous coaching staff, but then holding on to him was a big deal. He had a lot of offers from uh, you know all over the Big 12 in terms of like TCU, Oklahoma State, Baylor's, th- those type. So, you know, you look at those three guys, I think that's a really good start to what, what Coach McGuire wants to do. He also uh, recently picked up a commitment from New Mexico transfer Cade Briggs, who was the starter there. He's considered a really good player. He's expected to start for Texas Tech, whether it be at guard or center, actually. I think um, Austin Massey from inside the Red Raiders actually caught up with him, and uh, I think that's they're looking at him as playing center, which that would be a big center. Um, but he can play multiple multiple positions. So you have four offensive linemen coming in. I think that's a really good start. I think they still want to add at least one, maybe even two more. That's how serious Coach McGuire is about addressing the offensive line. But uh, while this is a small group of offensive players uh, compared to what we're used to seeing with Texas Tech, you know what? That also means they're, they're, they picked up a lot of guys on the defense. And I think that's where they needed the numbers mm-hmm. and the talent infusion the most. Well, it's interesting to look on offense, too, that some of the position groups were, you know, like tied in, for instance. I mean, yeah, I, didn't, I guess they didn't really uh, sign anybody new at tied in. No. They? But they've got some good depth there with, you know, Mason Tharp, who looks like he's going to be a star. I like Jed Castles, Jed Castles too, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they've, they're, they're really, they look really strong there. And then quarterback, you know, that's, that's one of the most crowded rooms uh, Tech has right now with guys that are, uh, you know, all have a lot going for them. Um, Coach McGuire told me he said on National Sign Day, but then he reiterated um, in a you know interview I had, which we ran last week, that the reason why he wasn't saying you know like he said pound his fist on the on the table saying we will get a quarterback was because he feels so good about the talent returning. Yeah, in the quarterback room. Yeah, that's that's a good problem to have, um, or not a problem. It's a good thing to have. Yeah, right. But it's but it's interesting that when you get that much talent in the quarterback room, the way it is with the transfer portal, and you you just got to think that somebody's not going to stick around sure. when, when it's all said and done. But that's just college football these days. It's the way it yep. goes. Every every guy that's any good 
somewhere there's an opportunity to be the guy. And so uh, we'll, we'll see how that all shakes out. But uh, that's a look at uh, the offensive players that head coach Joey McGuire added for the Red Raiders during the early signing period. The Red Raider Outfitter Rockin' Pregame on 101.1 The Beard. Starring News Channel 11's Pete Christie. Inside the Red Raiders publisher Jarrett Johnson. The Beard Sports Director Sean Dillon. And host of the Rockin' Pregame, Jeff Scott. It's time to release the Rockin' 25 College Basketball Poll on the Rockin' Pregame. Happy holidays from our college basketball rocketologist and the Rockin' 25 College Basketball Poll. We're joined by two of our voters, analytics consultant from Haslametrics.com, Eric Haslam, also owner, editor, and founder of the ACC Basketball Report, Michael Hunter. Gentlemen, which teams have underperformed so far this year and still have a place on the 25? Well, I think the team that jumps out in my mind is Villanova. Villanova has not been impressive so far, and I think from a record standpoint, I think that's what people think about. They came out of the gate 7-4. and four. They started with a loss in overtime to UCLA, a loss to Purdue. Those aren't bad losses, but then they have, you know, they play at Baylor, and they lose 57-36. They shoot 22% from the floor in that game. They have a game at Creighton where they lose by 20. They shoot 33% from the floor. Very un-Villanova numbers. One, they're 155th in adjusted field goal percentage, 113th in adjusted three-point percentage. They've shot 29% or less from three-point range in four straight games. That's just not who Villanova has been in the past. Now, there are some upsides to Villanova. I think they will come out of that slump, first of all. They were shooting better early on in the season. Secondly, their defense is playing elite basketball right now. They're 15th on my side at defensive efficiency. That's better than they've been at any point over the last three seasons. On top of that, they've also had wins along the way. They've got that win, a nice one, an 18-point victory over Tennessee. And then when everybody kind of questioned them, Xavier rolled into town on Tuesday thinking that Xavier was going to break into that top tier of the Big East. Villanova set him down, beat him by 13. So I don't think Villanova is an elite team at this point, but they're definitely still top 25 caliber. Yeah, and just to expand on kind of what Eric said, Villanova is also my answer to this question. And going even further, they're currently 134th in the nation in offensive rebounding and 247th in the nation in second chance conversion rate. So basically they don't shoot the ball well. And when they do get any second-chance opportunities, they don't convert them very often. Overall, I think our poll does a really good job at, at kind of punishing underachievers. I think more teams in our top 25 ha have something to prove due to a week out of conference schedule than actually underperforming on them. Eric, would you please release the top five of the Rockin' 25? Yes, I can do that. Number one is Baylor. Number two is Duke. Number three is Purdue. Number four is Gonzaga, and number five is Arizona. After the holiday break, Iowa State, with an early season conference gauntlet of home versus Baylor and Texas Tech at Oklahoma and Kansas, home versus Texas and at Texas Tech. By January 19th, what will we be saying about this team? So we actually spoke about this as a group kind of offline the other day, you know, and, and we all kind of agreed, which is not uh, not very common in our group chat but in about a month i expect the cyclones to be out of our top 25 and probably no longer receiving votes altogether um, that's just me being candid you know they defeated some teams that they were supposed to beat they did score some nice you know victories in that conference especially against creighton on the road certainly xavier who's in our top 25 and iowa iowa at the time was a little bit better maybe than they've shown lately we've seen them falter after a strong start i expect their in-state rivals to follow suit pretty soon the big 12 is just a whole different animal 
you're talking about six incredibly difficult games in a row. And most likely Iowa State's only going to be favored in one of those games. And that would probably be at home against Texas Tech. But that far down the road, Texas Tech may also be favored on the road uh, against the Cyclones. So I think uh, Iowa State's in for kind of a rude awakening in the next few weeks. Well, I'll say this about Iowa State. They've been a defensive epiphany. They were, they've in 10 of 12 <laughs> games this year, they've held opponents under 65 points. They were 151st in defensive efficiency two years ago, 158th last year. This year, they're third in the country. And these are adjusted numbers. Eighth in defensive field goal percentage, eighth in defensive three-point percentage. They encourage a lot of mid-range shots. And yes, you got that murderer's row of opponents coming up here. But, you, you know, that with that defense, how are they going to fare against the likes of Baylor, who I have at number seven right now in offensive efficiency? How are they going to do against Kansas, who's number two in offensive efficiency? If you do the simulations on my site, I believe that Iowa State should come away with two of these five wins. Now, this is going to be the, you know, the determining factor to see how good Iowa State really is. If they come away with two or three wins... They are the team that the analytics say they are right now, but a lot of people are thinking they're not going to come out of this doing very well, getting one of five or maybe even zero of five. I will say this about Iowa State. Isaiah Brockington has been a godsend, 19 and 10 over his last four games, 17 and eight for the season. He's been great for them. Moving on in our poll, Michael, please release uh, number six through 10. All right. Number six is Kansas. Number seven is UCLA. Eight is the Houston Cougars. Nine is the Alabama Crimson Tide. And number 10 is the Ohio State Buckeyes. Eric. Trojan fury is roaring as USC keeps winning, but have they faced a real team yet? January 2nd's game versus Arizona will seem to tell a lot about the Trojans. You know, I don't think they've played a terrible schedule. They haven't played an elite opponent yet. So that's that's their problem. They've played Washington State, who's my number 52 team. They won that game by two. They beat number 74 UC Irvine by five. They beat number 86 Utah by 20. San Diego State, who's number 88, they beat them by 15 on a neutral court. So their strength of schedule right now, 171st, right in the middle. Not terrible at all. But, yeah, we're going to find out what they're made of on January 2nd when they play that home game against Arizona. The projection right now is that Arizona wins that game, goes into L.A. and beats USC 76-73 in that game. USC has the advantage from long distance, three-point range, from mid-range. Arizona has that inside advantage, and that's no surprise with the likes of Coloco and Tubelas. I think in that game, Boogie Ellis, the likes of Boogie Ellis and Drew Peterson and Isaiah Mobley, they're going to have to knock down some some shots in that game in order to win that game. But here's the thing about USC is that USC really doesn't have anything in the month of January with the exception of that Arizona game. The Pac-12 is so weak, and they're not going to face USC again. They're not going to face Arizona again. They're not going to face UCLA until February. So if you look at this schedule, if they get that game against Arizona, I, I might even hazard to say they could actually win their first 20 games in a row without a single loss. All right, first of all, they're not going to be Arizona. And second of all, you know, it's still early in the season. Of, of the 12 games that they've played and won, nine have come against Quadrant 3 and 4 teams. So that, that strength of schedule for a team that's in our top 15 is is pretty weak. You, you'd like to see something better, I think. Of our top 25. And moving on from there, revealing the next five in our in our top 25. Number 11 is Iowa State. Number 12 is Auburn. Number 13 is USC. Number 14 is LSU. And number 15 is Michigan State. Exclusive to the Rockin' pregame, the Rockin' 25 college basketball poll with our Rocketologist Eric Haslam and Michael Hunter. Plenty of good things happening in the West Coast Conference, Michael, but when does reality start hitting? You know, if it hasn't happened yet, I don't think it's going to. I've watched the top four of this league at least once this season, all of them. Gonzaga's going to win the league, probably go undefeated, 16-0. and 0. 
But you never count out St. Mary's when Gonzaga visits Moraga, especially, which is going to be the season finale for uh, the West Coast Conference. You know, San Francisco has out-of-conference wins against Davidson, Nevada, UAB, Fresno State, Arizona State. San Francisco's for real, okay? BYU, we know is for real behind Alex Barcelo as victories. Utah State, Oregon, San Diego State, all in the out-of-conference. So say though all those teams split during conference play and they all lose their games against Gonzaga. You're talking about four teams that are very bubble-worthy at 12-4 and four in the West Coast Conference with Gonzaga at 16-0 potentially. You know, hopefully this puts to bed this ridiculous argument that everybody seems to have on Twitter every year about Gonzaga plays a decent out-of-conference schedule, then coasts for the next three months, gets into the tournament, and, and kind of underachieves. This year, I think the West Coast Conference is the strongest it's been in many years. And that's not because Gonzaga is exceptionally good compared to teams in the past, but because there are legit three t- tournament teams behind them in the West Coast Conference that maybe not gives them a game, but are worthy of bubble talk, I think, when we talk about Selection Sunday in March. Yeah, following up on that, Michael is exactly correct. There's three teams right now in my bracketology deserves from the WCC. The fourth one is St. Mary's. They're the first team out, so they're right on the fringe anyways. And 16 through 20 on our Rockin' 25 is Seton Hall. 17 is Kentucky. 18 is Texas. 19 is Xavier. And number 20 is the Colorado State Rams. With forfeits starting to hit the NCAA due to COVID, what impact will these have on teams, Eric, who might need those wins when Selection Sunday rolls around? You know, I I think it depends on your definition. Are we talking forfeits here or are we talking cancellations or postponements? Because there's definitely a difference right now. I mean, if you're talking forfeits, which I'll get to this in a second, but the the definition, everything surrounding forfeits is changing. Cancellations and postponements are just saying the game is off, forget about it, pretend it was never scheduled. But when forfeits were put into place, the idea behind forfeits was to penalize teams where a majority of the players were not vaccinated, causing a game to be postponed or canceled. Now, with with Omicron coming around, all of a sudden, anybody who has been double-jabbed or even boosted is getting sick with this, and it's causing conferences to rethink the forfeiture. And I think something came down today from the ACC where now all of a sudden the forfeits as they were being treated before as a penalty, it's it's not so much, it's not a penalty anymore. It's being treated like a full-on cancellation or a postponement. The only thing that would, the forfeits were going to affect was going to be probably conference seating in the conference tournaments. From what I, my understanding, the NCAA was going to treat all forfeits like the game never happened. But it may make the difference in the case of a conference where, say, someone forfeited. It may take you down from a two-seed to a six-seed in your conference tournament. Now conferences are rethinking that with the latest variant, and I don't know how this is going to end up, but I know that certain conferences are going to do it certain ways. Other conferences are going to do it different ways. That remains to be seen. So to answer your question, who's going to be impacted the most? You know, that's that's really difficult to answer. It's just going to be those teams who are going to be right on the bubble who could have played a top-tier team, and all of a sudden that game gets called off, and they're not going to have that impact victory. So I think typically at this time of the season, you're not dealing you're dealing with probably those mid-major conferences looking at opportunities to play against the Power Six teams. If those games are being postponed or canceled, or there's a forfeit or whatever. Those mid-major teams are really missing out on big opportunities to score big wins, those signature wins they need. When they're on the bubble in March, they can always lay back and look and go, look at that big win. They're losing those opportunities. You saw this past Tuesday, I think we hit our maximum of 23 games that were postponed or canceled. So as time goes along, 
I think this probably has a little bit more impact in the mid-majors than the power conference teams. But at the same time, I, I think everybody is impacted by this. Yeah, I think right now the team most impacted would probably be Memphis, which is kind of funny because, you know, Memphis, they, they lost four in a row. They come out and they beat a very good Alabama team. And then they have an opportunity to play a rival in Tennessee, get another huge win. There are reports, obviously, of the Memphis team being at a party, you know, a day before or two days before. So they may have shot themselves in the foot. But when you look at Memphis's schedule, that, that Tennessee game becomes very, very important that they're not going to make up, I assume, as, you know, for the rest of their schedule, they basically have Houston as a, as a high-quality win. They get, you know, the Cougars, they get two shots at the Cougars, one in the season finale. But in the American, there's not a whole lot of, of great wins to be had. The, only, the next best win that they can attain as of today's ranking is, is Central Florida. So, you know, not a whole lot of opportunities to impress the, the committee at the end of the season when you have losses to Murray State, Mississippi, Georgia in a row. In, in December, and then you only get the Alabama win, and you don't get the opportunity to get a signature win in Tennessee. So I think this so far only hurts Memphis, but again, it may just be their own fault. So it, it's hard to feel too bad for them. And getting back to our poll, wrapping up the 25, at number 21 is Tennessee, number 22 is Providence, number 23 is Villanova, number 24 are your Texas Tech Red Raiders, and number 25 are my Wisconsin Badgers. Wednesday will begin serious basketball with LSU taking on Auburn, Seton Hall and Providence, Tennessee and Bama, and you can't count out Temple versus a slumping Villanova. Which conference has the matchups you can't wait for? Well, I think for me, it's got to be the uh, the SEC. And back on December 12th, I, I sent out a tweet that kind of tried to rank conference strength, and I did it in three different ways by kind of averaging out the average of the top five from each conference, the middle four or five from each conference, and the bottom five, and kind of taking composite of those three. What was an interesting result was that the SEC kind of came out number four overall, but number one in that first category, which was the top five teams. And that's the reason why I'm intrigued about the SEC, because you're talking about those top five teams being LSU, Auburn, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Alabama. With those, I, I cannot wait to see those teams play each other. There's a, there's a lot of intriguing matchups there. And you can even throw in some of the middle tier, probably the second tier teams from the SEC, and that includes Florida, Mississippi State, and Arkansas. A lot of great opportunities for a lot of great games there. The problem with the SEC is that it's a it's a, a very polarized conference. You have four teams that are 125th or worse right now at my site. South Carolina and Ole Miss, those are two of them. Terrible, terrible offensive efficiency. Georgia's there, terrible defensive efficiency. And then, of course, you have Missouri, who's just playing terrible overall. They're ranked number 266 right now at my site. But looking at those top five or even top eight teams, so many opportunities for great games. I'm really looking forward to the SEC getting started there. Yeah, I think the SEC is is incredibly intriguing. I think, unfortunately, you're going to see a high – well, not unfortunately, but you're going to see a high level of basketball in the SEC throughout the entire season. I think there's a lot of national championship contenders in that conference. But for me, I think there's a conference that's high level that's going to get sorted out early, and it's because I'm not a huge believer in the Big East at this point. So I'm, I'm really intrigued by the early season conference play in the Big East. My, my reasoning behind that is – you know, Villanova gets right against Temple. I think that, you know, this is what you pay Jay Wright for. I want to see him come out in a black pinstripe suit with a red carnation speaking in some kind of South Philly mafioso lingo while destroying Temple and bowling over the rest of the Big East. That's the expectation that he's created, and, and that's what I want to see. That's why I tune into Villanova, that they play great basketball, and I really want to see them get back on track. 
you know, other places in the Big East, you know, I think DePaul is kind of a paper tiger. They're going to have to try to prove something when they go on the road to Hinkle. Butler isn't great, but Hinkle Fieldhouse is kind of a whole different animal, especially when you're on the road. I think St. John's has a real opportunity to tear off about four wins in a row after dropping a ridiculous home loss at home uh, to lowly Pittsburgh before they start to show down against uh, Providence in a few weeks. I think the cream really rises to the top in the Big East very quickly. I don't really believe in Seton Hall at this point. I know that may not be very popular with some of my other voters, but they've only played one game away from home. Granted, they got the win in mid-November against Michigan at the Chrysler Center, but the only other team they've played of any consequence on the road was on a neutral floor against Ohio State. Granted, they only lost by three, but every other game has been at home. You know, they didn't get Texas at home. I just... For whatever reason, I, I am just not a huge Kevin Willard guy. I know he's considered one of the more underrated coaches in the country. I'm not a huge Seton Hall guy. But for me, I, I think the Big East is going to get cleared up fairly early. I think you're going to see Villanova, Providence, Xavier, and UConn really rise to the top and take control of that conference. Yeah, seven teams right now uh, ranked between 11th and 46th at my site that are from the Big East. So, that, yeah, definitely a lot of... A, lot, a little bit of top heaviness there in that conference. Also receiving votes for the Rockin' 25 is the BYU Cougars, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Loyola, Chicago, Oklahoma, San Francisco, Yukon, Wake Forest, and West Virginia. <laughs> it wasn't me. It wasn't me either. <laughs> I, I got to admit, they're playing well. I really do have to admit they're playing. That Alondis Williams is nothing like I expected. I didn't even know who he was coming into this season. It's the Rockin' 25 college basketball poll with a rocketologist Eric Hassel and Michael Hunter. Guys, as of right now, who are your number one seeds for the NCAAs if they were played today? Uh, pretty simple for me. Give me Purdue, Kansas, Baylor, and Gonzaga. In that order, I believe. Uh, you could swap Kansas and Baylor as far as the, the second number one or the third number one. Duke, Arizona, Houston, also in the running for me. But my four number ones, I think, have played a bit more of a difficult schedule. I, I think Purdue is, regardless of you know close games and some losses recently, I think they're the best team in the nation. I think they're the most complete team in the nation. Baylor, Kansas, not far behind. And then Gonzaga is Gonzaga. You're going to see them tear off about 20 in a row here pretty soon. So... For me, those are my four number ones. Yeah, if you look at the bracketology deserves on my site right now, it's a little bit misleading because it's based on what teams have done already this year. It's Baylor, Arizona, LSU, and Iowa State, which makes sense considering through thir- through Tuesday they're 45-0 and 0 combined. But if you look at the eye test, I think Baylor and Arizona stick in my opinion. I, I like Purdue. I think Purdue is number one quality. And then I got I, I to still stick Gonzaga in there. In the, and I'm looking ahead, obviously. I, I still see analytic sites that put Gonzaga at number one. And obviously, I, I think there's still that rubber band or, or bungee cord effect where they kind of staked Gonzaga in the wall in the preseason. And there's the, the, the further they get away from playing like number one, the further the more resistance there is to keep them up there. So I, I think over time, I think these preseason ratings more and more will dissolve because at this point, I don't think that Gonzaga is worthy of either a, a maybe a, a number one in an analytics site or even a number one seed from a bracketology perspective. But again, I look at what Gonzaga has the potential to be. I think they have the potential to be a number one seed. I think they will end up being a number one seed. They just aren't there right now. Yeah, I look at Arizona's schedule. I mean, the, the win against Michigan's great. The win against Illinois, you know, but they, they have something they're really going to prove 
between now and New Year's with Tennessee, UCLA, and USC. If you know they go two and one or even three and zero there, I think Arizona absolutely moves into number one territory for sure, and maybe you know maybe as high as the second number one in the nation. And the Pac-12 is still incredibly weak. I can I cannot believe looking at some of that schedule. Like I was talking about the USC schedule, just nothing there. The entire month of January is a joke for them. And I mean, yeah. you got unless you count Oregon, who might get their act together, or maybe a Colorado. You go down the road and play Colorado, who's a, another paper tiger, has a decent record. But when you look at the fine at the, the fine details of what Colorado has done, there's nothing impressive there for the Buffaloes. They don't even have to go to Eugene this year. They're, they're hosting Oregon in the only meeting right. of the season this year. So, uh, you know, that Oregon game doesn't really scare me. I think if they – I mean, the next best game they have is UCLA on February 3rd. Like I said, I'm not a huge believer in USC, but if they get through these next three games, you you may not see Arizona lose again after these next three games. I they, agree. They make it through here. It's, it's, it's incredibly weak, I agree. Yeah, and that's the thing. And, and I don't even believe in UCLA. I, everybody believes yeah. in UCLA. I'm one of those that I still think recency bias is a major factor. Everybody's judging them based on their potential and on their talent. But if they can't come together and bring it together as a team, and, and the, the record shows that they're doing But when you look at the analytics, the analytics are showing that UCLA is not nearly as good as people are making them out to be. And I stand by and, that. Yeah, and they fall in the same category as well because, again, the Pac-12 is weak. Their real only opportunities to get any kind of signature wins for the rest of the season are the two games against Arizona. So the, those Arizona-UCLA games are going to be very pivotal when seeding comes around at the end of the season. I agree. Where can people find your work? You can find me at basketballarticles.com, noopsports.com, knupsports.com, and on Twitter at ACCBR1. People can find me, my ratings, my rankings, my bracketology, my projections over at haslametrics.com. Otherwise, you can find me on Twitter going hashtag analyticallyfinal at, at haslametrics. College basketball's rolling. Our thanks to Rockin' 25 voters Eric Haslam and Michael Hunter for breaking down the analytics and the teams. The Rockin' 25 college basketball poll always available at 101thebeard.com. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a good holiday, guys. Happy holidays. The Red Raider Outfitter Rockin' Pre-Game on 101.1 The Beard. Starring News Channel 11's Pete Christie. Inside the Red Raiders publisher, Jarrett Johnson. The Beard Sports Director, Sean Dillon. And host of the Rockin' Pre-Game, Jeff Scott. It's time now for the Red Raider Outfitter Rockin' Predictions. All right, bowl game predictions. Uh, Pete, congratulations because you are the reigning rock now. You've made a late charge to overtake me. I had a terrible week last week. and I, I don't feel real good about the bowl games because there's not a lot of these games that are clear-cut to me. There's a lot of these games could go either way depending on, yes. I mean, just depending on the day. I mean, it's it's... So I don't know. I don't know that I feel strongly about any of these. I'm not real passionate. This is kind of a boring bowl season lineup to me personally. I don't know. I like. I enjoy watching bowls usually, but I don't know. There's not a lot of these that excite me. I guess I'm tough to please this year. Hey, you have North Carolina going against South Carolina. I mean, what, what more can you ask for, right? North versus the South. You know, I, I, I have no idea. <laughs> Jeff gave you a look like, what? Yeah, I was like, really? Well, you know. I, I, I'm, I'm searching, man. I don't know. I'm, it's I'm probably important to the people in the region. I mean, you know, yeah. they, maybe they care about that. But let's start off here. Uh, Memphis at Hawaii. This is the Hawaii Bowl. Now, I think normally you would think, well, Hawaii in the Hawaii Bowl. Man, big home game. But they got all kinds of issues. Todd Graham right? is being Todd Graham in Hawaii. I don't know why anybody thought that would be a good mix there. 
Todd Graham, like a, I mean, he's known for being uh, not the nicest dude. Let's put it that way. In, in Hawaii. But, uh, yeah, he's lost his team, lost a lot of his players to the portal. And, uh, man, I think Memphis rolls. Okay. Well, I'll go with Memphis with that knowledge, too. Pete? Uh, I'll take Memphis. John? Memphis. Okay. All right. Uh, Georgia State versus Ball State in the Camellia Bowl. What is the Camellia Bowl? I don't even know. but I think, I, it's, it I think it's one that yeah. Georgia State is going to win. I got Georgia State. I got Georgia State. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, that's exactly. I think we all picked that with the same level of enthusiasm. The Quick Lane Bowl uh, on tap with Western Michigan and Nevada. I'm going to go with Western Michigan. Let's go Western Michigan. Nevada. I'm going Nevada, too. All right. Don't, didn't their coach uh, get hired somewhere and they got a new coach coming in or something? Yeah. Okay, that, that was the edge I gave uh, yeah. Western Michigan. Okay. Uh, Boston College in East Carolina, the Military Bowl. Um, I'll take East Carolina. I'm going to go Boston College. B.C. B.C. Birmingham Bowl, number 20, Houston versus Auburn. Auburn. Yeah, I've got Auburn on Auburn. That one. Why is it that you guys are all looking at me like, like... Because you're going to take Houston. Like you're about to say something stupid? Take Houston. Ha, ha, ha. Wow. My third generation cousin went no, to Houston. No, no, right. no, no. You guys are so mean. I'm taking Auburn. Okay. okay. You were going to take Houston until we yep. uh, until we said that, though, right? Nope. Okay, first responder bowl. You got Air Force versus Louisville. Uh, I'm going to flip a coin and go with Louisville. Fly high. That's Air Force, right? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, Cardinals fly. I know. So, I that's saying. right. Uh, fly high, fly Air Force. I'm going to take Air Force. Louisville. All right. And then we got the Holiday Bowl with UCLA versus number 18 NC State. I'll take uh, NC State. Me too. Yeah. And Tech plays them next year. That's terrible. Right. I'm going to go NC State too, though. John? NC State, UCLA is terrible. Next up, the Guaranteed Rate Bowl, West Virginia at Minnesota um, versus Ugh. Minnesota. I'm going to go with, uh, I keep it the Big 12. I'll go with West Virginia. Minnesota. 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 All right. SMU versus Virginia in the Fenway Bowl. <laughs> um, ah, geez, I don't know. I, I guess SMU. So, Fenway, is that in Boston? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's actually played in Fenway Park. That's pretty cool. I'll take Virginia. Well, a coaching change there. I'm going to go Virginia. And you're taking Smoo? Smoo. Okay. All right. Next up, uh, the Pinstripe Bowl. Wow, look at that. The Red Sox and the Yankees both have a bowl now. Uh, the Pinstripe Bowl, Maryland versus Virginia Tech. Um, I'll take Maryland. Oh. I'm going Virginia Tech, and I'm from Maryland. What, Pete? Yeah. You're going to get I want to Maryland? win this contest. Virginia Tech. That's, yeah. That's all that counts. Pete, I was, I was picking Maryland in your honor. Oh, well, I went against him in my honor. All right, Sean. <laughs> I'm, picking, I'm picking against uh, Pete's uh, Maryland Terrapins. I'm going Virginia Tech. All right, the Cheez-It Bowl. Number 19, Clemson versus Iowa State. I'm going to take Iowa State in this one. I'm going Clemson. Clemson. Yeah. Right, okay. Clemson. Well, they lost their defensive coordinator, and uh, who knows? You know, it, it could be interesting. It's true. Um, and I don't ever ca- count on Matt Campbell. You have a lot of Big 12 pride. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. I usually root for, the, for, for the conference. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. That's good. Fire. Oh, shots fired. That's awesome. <laughs> I wish I said that. Wait, 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 till, wait till we get down to, oh, that's uh, to right. that. That's right. He might there. take them. 
No, okay. when it comes bowl season, yeah. I, I usually well, these you know, are fifty fifty. There's no question. But that, that's the thing, though. When in doubt, I will take the Big Twelve team, uh, and that's fair because I've seen the Big Twelve <laughs> yes, teams. I'm, I some agree. of these teams, I really didn't get a chance to see a lot of these teams play this year. Like I didn't see a lot of Maryland football. Right, I understand. Probably wasn't alone on that. I'm guessing. <laughs> uh, I watched there, a little. Um, they're in the Big Ten. Nobody yeah. watches the Big yeah. Ten. All right, the Alamo Bowl. You got number fourteen Oregon versus number sixteen Oklahoma. And you know what makes these kind of games interesting, though, some of these, is that, you know, you mentioned earlier, like, guys that are transferring, they're opting out, which is the new way of, it's the fancy, uh, politically correct way to say, I quit. And uh, you got Oklahoma has a bunch of those guys. But uh, I still, I'm going to go with Oklahoma in this one. I'm going Oklahoma. Oregon. Sean? I want to join Jarrett so bad. Then do it. I'm I'm gonna go with uh, or uh, Oklahoma. Oh. Oklahoma, okay. Okay. Oklahoma. I thought you were saying Oregoma. Oregoma. Okay. Um, here's the Mayo Bowl. You got North Carolina, South Carolina. You got, give me South Carolina. I'm North North Carolina. Carolina. I'm going North Carolina. And you North. know, interesting fact in that Mayo Bowl, th- they last year it didn't happen. This year, both coaches have agreed: whoever wins will get doused with a bucket of mayo. And their charity will get, I think, $20,000. So somebody's going to get drenched in mayo. I think it's Mac Brown. Hey, I think we've all been uh, drenched with mayo at one time or another on a Saturday night, right? Is that is that just me? I'm sorry. Is that, what where are we hell? going with this? Where? You just took it real strange, Jeff. <laughs> Who, who'd you take? I, I'm taking uh, North Carolina. Okay. We just have doused with mayo. That's pretty disgusting. Yeah, for charity. Money, money, for $20,000 for a charity, you can wash Damn. it off. Can't you just donate the money and not... Yeah why, do you to, yeah, why do you have to be doused with mayo? Yeah. I like French fries with my mayonnaise. They do that overseas. You do that? I do that. What? I got a buddy. I don't even say who weird, it is. Jesus Arenas, Red Raider. On his fries, he'll eat the end, flip it, eat the other end, throw away the middle. What? That's how he eats fries. Somebody told me, wait till you see, I, they heard we were going to lunch. Wait till you see how he eats fries. I'm like, That's, what can he do? And then I saw it. That's what he does. You know what? I've played golf with uh, with Jesus a few times. You remember I, that? I've never witnessed the French fries. <laughs> yes. Next time I play, I'm ordering French fries because <laughs> yes. I want to see that in person. Um, all right. So where are we? The Music City Bowl with Tennessee and Purdue. Um, I'll take Tennessee. I'm going Tennessee. Mm, Tennessee. Go to, um, we're all going to go Tennessee. Okay. All right. Peach Bowl, number 12, <laughs> Pittsburgh versus number 10, Michigan State. I'll take Michigan State. Pete? I mean, you guys are putting way too much thought. I'll into go this. Michigan State since Thank he's. You. I'm going to go Michigan State. I'm going to go Pittsburgh. Ooh, okay. Ooh. All right, now out to the Las Vegas Bowl. We got Wisconsin and Arizona State, and uh, I don't know this Arizona State. Yeah, I'll take Arizona State. I'm going to take Wisconsin. I'm taking Wisconsin. Yeah, dirty little Badgers for me too. Number 16, Wake Forest, and number 25, Texas A&M, will meet in the Gator Bowl. And uh, you know what? Um, well, I, I hate doing this, but I guess I'll take the Aggies. I'll take the Aggies because ugh. I'll take A and M too. Wake Forest, okay. I'm okay. the Aggies, okay. No matter how how much you, you think you, they you might win, you can't do it. No matter what, right. I didn't say that, but I'm not taking them. This this is closer to the coin toss than uh, I don't know, like them playing Georgia State or something. Yeah, I guess. Okay. All right, Sun Bowl, Washington State and Miami, and uh, yeah, you know, I'll take Miami on that one. I guess take. The U in the sun? I'm taking Miami. I am taking Washington State. Okay. All right. And then we come to the Liberty Bowl. 
for Texas Tech taking on Mike Leach in Mississippi State. Looking forward to this game, obviously. Um, but uh, I, I don't know. I, I think ultimately Mississippi State probably is going to win the game. Like for Tech to win, but probably too much, uh, too much Mike Le- Le- Leach offense, I would think. Yeah, I agree. I'm taking Mississippi State. I'm uh, flying out Sunday to the game, ready to eat some uh, barbecue, and then I'm hoping to catch up with Jarrett Culver. Uh, they're uh, playing the Lakers the day after, so if any Red Raider fans are going out, man, that's a, a double dip right there. But uh, I'm going to take Leach, too. Uh, you know, Cumbie's running around with two jobs. I, I love him and most of the staff coming back. Kudos for doing that. Uh, you got in a bowl game. This lays the foundation for uh, McGuire, but I'm going Mississippi State. What have I said all year long? Yeah. I have said all year long that they would go to a bowl. Yeah. They went to a bowl. I said all year long they would win the bowl. I am sticking with that. They will win the bowl. Texas Tech will win the bowl. And here's here's the, you always ask me for the deep, dark prediction where you wonder if I've got a, a crystal ball. Baron Morton with the game-winning touchdown pass. All right. That is very specific, and we'll see what happens. You know, it's such a weird season this year with the uh, the way things. I mean, you, you you know, the opt-out thing has become very popular. Then you add in the, the transfer portal yeah. and the early signing day, which has moved up the firing of coaches. And now you got this weirdness of, you know, with Tech and lots of teams having guys coming back to coach the team. They're already, their brain's already on their next gig. I mean, it's such a weird year of bowl season. There's no telling what's going to happen. To me, they've communicated basically that they're devaluing the bowl season. Oh, they yeah. don't want to say that, but I mean that's their actions, right? See, when they when and, and when players are, are given that vibe, it's hard for the coaches fans to too. take it seriously, and the coaches, yeah. But it's uh, it, it is, and that's why I think ultimately the only way to save any of this is to expand the playoffs yes. to where the games mean something, and then guys aren't going to be opting out as quick because they're playing for an opportunity to win the national championship. Now the opportunity to win the you know the the uh, Camellia Bowl. Right. I mean, it's stupid, but. I just hate that idea of of opting out. If you're worried about injury, you could have got injured at any time during the season. I, I just ultimately, I think it's I, quitting, and I just I just don't like it. I agree. I think why not a 12 team playoff where the 10 conference winners plus two at large, two highest ranked by whatever right, yeah. whatever powers it be, but still have you can still have some bowls, and you say, oh well, it'll be like the NIT. Well, obviously, it already is kind of like the NIT. Right. If players are players aren't quitting in the middle of the season. You know, other than the COVID stuff, you know. But they're they're quitting during the bowl season. They're quitting after the regular season's over. And most of the coaches, not all of them, uh, it's not always their choice, they're not leaving their teams until after the regular season's over. So, I mean, it's already being treated like the bowl season's NIT. Why not expand it to 12? To me, it makes so much sense. There's 10 conferences. Let all of them have a seating. All, all the conference winners get in and then two at large which will probably be sec you know how they are but. yeah right but no but battling it out on the field the games mean something be exciting for the fans there'd be more on the line for the players and it'd probably be it'd be great for everybody concerned how excited would we be oh yeah if that was about to happen yeah a 12 team playoff right now i mean that yeah. would be amazing yeah there'd be upsets yeah. and and you'd be able to settle it on the field instead of this endless debate over a committee looking at data points right. and all that that's, that's and you'd sports. have whole regions excited yeah. obviously yeah you know because the, the country would be represented all right well there's our predictions and uh we'll we'll see how that pans out but again uh, congratulations pete for you know being the uh we'll the, the guy that's in the, in the lead right now
All right, coming up uh, next, we'll take a look at the defensive players that head coach Joey McGuire added for the Red Raiders in the early signing period. That's next on the Red Raider Outfitter Rockin' Pregame on 101.1. The The Red Raider Outfitter Rockin' Pregame on 101.1. The Beard, starring News Channel 11's Pete Christie. Inside the Red Raiders publisher, Jarrett Johnson. The Beard sports director, Sean Dillon. And host of the Rockin' Pregame, Jeff Scott. Time to look at the Texas Tech defense. All right, going to take a look now at the defensive players. The head coach, Joey McGuire, has added for the Red Raiders in the early signing period. What's interesting is if you just look at it from afar, first off, they added 11 defensive players, all right? All high school recruits. Um, this is not this is even counting the transfers. They do have some transfers. But if you just look at the 11 high school defensive recruits, I mean, you, have, you can have like a starting defense. You have four defensive linemen including, you know, a couple of defensive tackles, a couple of edge rush kind of guys, uh, and then three linebackers, and then two cornerbacks and two safeties. Wow. And they're all, like, solid players. Let's just start on the defensive line because that's where I'm most excited about this 2022 class. Four bona fide high school stud defensive linemen that other Power 5, conference, or Power five teams wanted. Uh, starting with Joseph Adedere, 6'3", 250 pounds, from Mansfield Summit. He was a four-star guy on Rivals, high three-star on uh, 24-7 Sports. I think 24-7 underrated him, to be quite honest. Um, he flipped from TCU, coming over with Zarnell Fitch, uh, the defensive line coach. He's just, of all the guys, he's either he's 1 and 1A with, with Horn, is who I'm most excited about. I mean, just watch his tape, and, I mean, he's that classic, like, bendy, but strong, freakish edge rusher that tech just doesn't have i mean that's i mean how many times have you in the last i don't know decade have you watched opposing quarterback draw back and have all day and then we're talking about oh you're only rushing three or you're only rushing four well somebody needs to win or a one-on-one battle and it shouldn't matter you know this is a dude that's going to consistently either beat one-on-one uh battles or command double teams so that's what you got to have so, and then Harvey Dyson, the third, 6'3", 250 pounds, coming over from Cedar Hill. He's one of those guys who committed the night Joey McGuire was announced. Love this kid. Just really neat kid. Uh, him and Sincere Massey, the other defensive lineman. He's 6'5", 290. Both these guys, you watch their tape. They're playing against the best competition, really, you're going to find in high school football, period. And they're really smart guys. Like, they're strong at the point of attack. Um, they're good at getting penetration and making those kind of plays. But it, what, what you also see is when the play goes away from them to the other side, they're playing, you know, their part. They're not just getting rushing up field or, or you know, making a selfish play. They're staying at home, and they make a lot of plays that way. Some, there's a couple of interceptions on these guys' film. There's uh, some really nice uh, big sacks they had where they stayed at home and played sound football. They've been coached up. They're big. They're mean. They know what Coach McGuire uh, expects from them, and I expect them to be really good football players uh, for Texas Tech. Now, do you look at these the type of guys that are, you know, c- capable of coming in immediately? They're going to play very time? soon. Okay. Very soon. I, whether it be this year or second year, again, we're talking about Power 5 football mm-hmm. in the trenches. I mean, you'd rather them not play their freshman year, but do I think right, they get could? Some muscle right, and just all that. Get used weight, to yeah, yeah. everything. Uh, acclimated to all of it. But could they? Would they for past like the Kingsbury era? Absolutely, it would have had to. They would have yeah. been like the best players up front. Uh, another guy, Trevin, and this was late. This is another Zarnell Fitch, Texas Tech's new defensive line coach, like Flip or you know, guy he brought with him, uh, Trayvon McElpine, six three two eighty from Alabama. 
dude's a monster. He's a nose guard. He's not fat. He's not fat. He's just huge. And you watch his tape, and, I mean, he just crushes the interior of offensive lines. I mean, this guy's a monster. I can't believe they got him, to be honest. Just him alone, him alone, I would have been really excited about. And these four guys together is just, that is the class. I mean, don't get me wrong, other really good players I'm about to mention that I really like, but those four guys, I'm just, I, I could not be more excited about for Texas Tech. Speaking of the next guys, let's go to linebacker Tavares Elston. I mean, he's the Dwayne Slay starter kit. Just watch his film. He's violent. That's saying something there. Right? <laughs> he's six uh, six foot, two hundred ten pounds. So I mean, he's basically a safety, power five safety in terms of size. And I was glad to hear Coach McGuire say he might play safety, but they're going to start him at linebacker because he could put some weight on. And he is a power five. He is a Baylor type, undersized, aggressive, violent, fast, instinctive linebacker. Wow. I love him. I love violent. That's, yeah. yeah. That's what he is. Those guys. And then uh, Ty Kana is uh, 6'2", 225. He was a former USC commit from Katy. I, I didn't know this. Coach McGuire said on National Science Day that uh, he played all four years of varsity football at Katy. That well, is really hard to do. Yeah. And uh, he mentioned Coach McGuire when I talked to him about his relationship with Coach Joseph and that Coach jo- the head coach of Katy, legendary coach. If you know high school football, you know who Coach Gary Joseph is. And uh, just how he vouched for McGuire, which is interesting because these two battled in four straight state championships, you know, which is crazy. But that how much respect they have for each other. And that, I mean, you got Ty Connor because McGuire is your coach. It's just that simple. And he's the kind of guy that he'll probably lead you in tackles for two or three years uh, of his time. And don't be surprised if he plays a lot next year because they won't be able to keep him off the field. Ben Roberts is listed at linebacker at 6'3", 215. He might kind of be an edge rush kind of guy. And McGuire told me he might play safety. So he's got that kind of speed, track speed, too, and and athleticism. So they're not sure what they have in Ben Roberts. They just like his potential. And he's definitely, uh, you know, more of a project. But, uh, you know, we'll we'll see. We'll see what he develops into. Hutt Graham is a DB, 6'1", 175 from Gunter. Very good program. Played quarterback there um, as well. Uh, You watch him at safety. He's got the chops. He's got the athleticism. It'll be interesting to see. Um, what he becomes to. Marion Horns, your highest-rated guy on your commitment list, four-star, Under Armour All-American, offered by both Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, but still chose Texas Tech, chose the previous coaching regime, and was more than ecstatic about Coach McGuire coming over, though. So he just really likes Tech. He likes the fact that Tech's going to give him an opportunity to return kicks, return punts, be a cornerback, but also he might play running back. I mean, he could. He was at, like literally one of the top running backs of Oklahoma this last year. Uh, I can't remember. He ran for like 1,200 yards or something like that. Um, just a very explosive football player. He can play a lot of positions for you. Just a just dang good football player. Landon Hullaby is a late addition. You got six foot 195. Came over basically with Coach DeRuiter, um from Oregon. Um, I mean, the best thing I like about him is that Coach McGuire said he can play every safety position, which is very rare. I mean, I know some people may not recognize that, but your safety, especially now more than ever, are asked to do very different things, the different safety positions. So um, the fact that he can do that gives the, gives the secondary a lot of versatility because you know there's going to be attrition throughout a season. Yeah. And then Jalen Peoples was the third of that group or that trio that committed the night Joey McGuire was announced. He's like your second or third highest rated guy on your commitment list as well uh, out of Cedar Hill. Very good cover corner. I mean, I'll be shocked if he's not starting in two or three years, and he starts for you know most of his career. He's just amazing. I mean, watch his film, watch his huddle, Jalen Peoples, look it up. It's it's very impressive. Uh, he's a good football player, and 
I mean, it just rounds out a defense that you just, a defensive hall that Tech just doesn't ever do. I can't remember last time they, I mean, I've, I've asked a lot of people, like, when was the last time Tech got this many quality defensive players? And everybody just kind of, uh, not this era, yeah. you know? Maybe uh, Tuberville, he had that one class, either 2011 or 2012, where it was a lot of good defensive mm-hmm. players. And that was the team that was helped. That the Delvon Simmons year? Yeah, 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 it was. Yeah. yeah. But you had some, yeah, some good players from that from that group that ended up, you know, being basically your defense that 2013 year of Kingsbury's first year. Yeah. That when they were healthy, they won a lot of football games. Yeah. Including the bowl game, you know, against uh, was it Arizona State uh, in the Holiday Bowl. But when they weren't, you had no depth. You didn't win any games. Yeah. <laughs> so Which was kind of the problem during the Kingsbury years was that no depth situation. Uh, you know what's interesting now is to see the type of players that McGuire was able to bring in, and he's you know barely been on the job here. Yeah, it really makes you feel good about the future of what is he going to be able to do recruiting wise as time goes by, oh, yeah. the relationships that he has and all. But to be, bring in this many high quality players. You know, in barely a month's time. I mean, that's that's that makes you very optimistic. Very much so. And the 2023 class is top five right now in the in the nation. Now it's early. I don't expect it to be a top five class when it's all said and done. But I've already gone on record predicting a top 25 class. So that'd be great for Tech. Oh, have a top 25 oh, recruiting. You class. do that every yeah. year. You're gonna start winning nine, ten games a year. Right. I, just, I really believe that. And, and that's what you got to do to overtake some, you know, like, yep. I mean, you know, West Virginia, TCU, yep. and, you know, I mean, those, those teams that you've got to beat, Baylor really. Oklahoma I mean, State is on, really yeah. the standard. I mean, that's who right. Tech could be, should be. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and that's when, you know, with uh, OU and Texas leaving the conference, you know, whenever that ends mm-hmm. up being, um, the teams that are kind of battling out to be the the new powers of the new Big 12. Yeah. You keep I keep hearing about you know, Oklahoma State and Iowa State. But I think Tech now with McGuire and yeah. what it looks like he's going to be able to do, I think Tech is going to have a chance to be right there as one of the, the you know, the, the powerful teams in the conference now. I agree. And quite honestly, I'm probably more excited about Tech football than I've ever been in my life, even during the Mike Leach era, because I'm excited about this new look Big 12. I think I'm more excited than anybody. I, just, I think a, a lot of people will kind of share that, yeah, this is going to be cool. It's going to be fresh. You know, look what Cincinnati's done this year. Yeah. BYU is a national right, brand. Yeah. I mean, Houston, I mean, come on, they've had some really good years, and you know they're going to get a bump by being in, in oh, the yeah. Big 12 now. You know, they're, right. they're going to recruit even better being in Houston, you know. And then, I mean, UCF, they've had some really good years here uh, recently. So I, I think it's going to be exciting. And I think Tech is positioning itself, which this was intentional. I mean, I asked Cody Campbell about it. And uh, when, when he made that, when they announced that big donation, and he said, yeah, I mean, this is a critical time. This is an exciting time. And by getting the guy we got, Joey McGuire, I think we've really positioned ourselves to be a power in the new Big 12. So It does feel like things are finally coming together yes. after a very long period of just sadness. Yeah, and it, it feels like they actually have plans. Yes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. You yeah. can see the plans, what they're trying to do, how they're going about accomplishing it, instead of just being, like, so reactive, which right. it was for so long. Like, oh, yeah. no, this happened? Let's plug this hole. Oh, no, let's plug that hole. Oh, no, you know what I mean? That seems right. like they were just kind of coasting, plugging holes for a while, and that's they're certainly not what they're doing right now. So if there's any holes that they do need plugged, what is it? On defense, I mean, to me, they can always go heavier uh, defensive line and secondary because um, everybody was looking at linebacker, but I really like the linebackers they got. And I don't think, I mean, look, you're losing Colin Schooler. I, 
you're just not going to replace a guy like that. There's just not a lot of Colin Schoolers out there. But um, really, Enrico, yes, that, you know, that's a loss too. But if Christian comes back, um, you know, look, there's some experience there. There's a guy who can play. You add this talent. You have some. You actually have some younger guys like Josiah Pierre, who I liked. I thought he played very well, who have been developing your system for a couple of years. Um, you know, see what DeRuder could come in and do with them. I'm not as worried about linebackers as a lot of people out there. I still think where Tech has been weak for so long is in generating a pass rush and then in coverage. So I think as many quality DBs, and defense alignment, you can stockpile for the you know attrition we know is going to happen throughout a season, the better. All right, good stuff there. Now, coming up here, we'll uh, talk about the, the bowl game, the Liberty Bowl. It's Texas Tech taking on Mike Leach and Mississippi State. Some of our thoughts on that coming up here on the Red Raider Outfitter Rock and Pregame on 101.1 The Beard. The Red Raider Outfitter Rock and Pregame on 101.1 the Beard, starring News Channel 11's Pete Christie, inside the Red Raiders publisher Jared Johnson, the Beard sports director Sean Dillon, and host of the Rock and Pregame, Jeff Scott. The future is here. All right, well, Tech is getting ready to take on Mike Leach in Mississippi State uh, coming up on Tuesday night. Incidentally, that game's on ESPN. It'll be uh, 545 uh, this coming Tuesday. Really interesting about, I, I, I find myself not being terribly excited about this game, even though it's the first bowl game Tech's been to in a while. But even people I talk to, it, it seems like there's this feeling sort of like, well, yeah, going to a bowl game, but man, Joy McGuire, I can't yeah. wait. You know, because you got all these the the you know the old coaching staff is still here to their credit. I mean, you know, they've come back. They're yes. they're finishing this thing out. I admire them for that. It's got to be very difficult, but I am just ready to get this over with. So I find myself not being able to get real excited about this game, and and something else I think is weird is how with uh, you know the whole Mike Leach connection. Yeah. It's almost like the the excitement about Joey McGuire in in some ways to me seems like it has been the the thing that has finally maybe the the beginning of putting the whole Mike Leach thing to no bed doubt where people that's keep clamoring yeah. for Mike Leach yep. and especially nationally do you, do you see more of an interest in this game than yeah. locally here? Do I mean, you think? was it Yahoo had a story where they ranked all the bowl games and this the Liberty Bowl Tech and Mississippi State was fourth out of all the bowl games. Wow, and I was like. Mm. <laughs> That may not be the fourth most interesting bowl game to me, you know. Yeah, like, and I want to right. see Tech. Don't get me wrong; we're not right, hating on right. Tech. I love these players. What they're, they're just done. excited for the future. You know? Yes, that's what it is. Is that I think you nailed it with the fact that, like, nobody wants to talk. You know, people like to talk Tech football with me, and nobody wants to talk about the Liberty Bowl. They want to talk about Joey McGuire yeah. and how he's been able to recruit and what the what the possible the potential is for the future and what kind of guy he is and the staff and just all that stuff. That's what people want to know. So I think that's the way you feel is, I mean, I think it's the, the vast majority of yeah. Tech fans. That's yeah. what I've been my experience. That doesn't mean people aren't interested in the game, but it's just, you know, and I think what you said about Leach, too, like, that's huge because if there wasn't that excitement about McGuire, then, like you said, people still would be clamoring for Leach, like, oh, no, we're going to get beaten by, you know, our all-time winningest yeah, coach and all that. Been our coach. Exactly. Yeah, they should bring him back. And if it, they do get boat raced by Leach in Mississippi State, does that clamor continue? No. Or I, I'm, I think everybody has a who cares kind of thing about it, don't you? I mean, yeah. like I really I, don't get me wrong. I, I want to say this right. It's not who cares. I think that's just the expected. I mean, I think Mississippi State's favored by eight and a half, despite being a seven and five team. You yeah. know, uh, 
that's the expectation is that Mississippi State is going to win. I, so I don't think anybody will be like, oh, no, bring Leach back. I think everybody's just ready, as Jeff's saying, to get on with the Joey McGuire era and to see what the staff can do. Yeah, it's like you, you want to be so excited. I feel like everybody is, but it's like this – the Matt Wells era continues to linger through the thing the that will game. not leave is what you're saying. Like, <laughs> it's what it feels like, you know, because you got this great coaching staff. Yeah. And they're out there recruiting, which has been great. You know, they've had the yes. time to do that. There's a lot of upside to that. But, you know, you, you just find yourself, you just can't wait to see them get on the field and put this team together. What's it going to be? And you just feel like you just can't get away yeah. from the these last several years. I admire the players for... If nothing else this year, keep showing up. Yeah. That's a big, that's a family tenant that we have. That's, I mean, honestly, a couple of times it's got us through, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> in life. Keep showing up no matter what. And that's what these players did. And they earned that bowl game. Yeah. You know, they, yeah. they did. A lot of hard work went into that. A lot of work you know? and putting the drama aside and just playing for each other and just the, the great effort. So that is the most intriguing story angle just for me personally in terms of this bowl game. Like, will they show up again and kind of not shock the world, but you know what I mean? So really surprise us and somehow right. upset, you know, right. that, that would be an amazing storyline. But I tell you where I got turned off for this game was during the, we had the teleconference that the, the night it was announced the Liberty bowl and Sonny Cumbie was late and we had this whole awkward deal. And Kirby Hoka was like, he's out recruiting. And, you know, it's like he said, for Louisiana Tech. <laughs> so, you know, and then Sonny made that point. I'm recruiting for Louisiana Tech. I'm recruiting for, I'm recruiting for Louisiana Tech. And don't get me wrong. I do not begrudge Sonny Cumbie doing that. But, you know, he was even asked, what are you going to be doing during the bowl prep? And he's like, oh, I'm going to be watching practice, helping develop the game plan, but I'm going to be recruiting. It's just I'm going to be recruiting for Louisiana Tech. And I was just, again, I don't begrudge him that. But it goes back to us kind of talking about the bowl season's been watered down, you know? And there's all these – if you're not completely focused on game prep and everything, if you're thinking about a whole other program while you're doing this, I mean, how invested can you be? Right. And it's not just him. It's the whole staff. Yeah. So-and-so is at Virginia Tech. So-and-so is going to be the head coach of Abilene Christian. So-and-so – you know what I mean? Yeah. There's no way you're not thinking about those programs more than what what you're doing, you know, today. And I just – that's just a big turnoff to me. Yeah, no, it's, I agree. It's, it's, it's weird. It's like Joey McGuire is Christmas Day and you get to open presents. And right now it is Christmas Eve and you're sitting here and mom wants you to, hey, we need to get our Christmas sweaters on and take the family photo. And you're like, can we get on with this? Can we get on with all the, the stuff that we have to do? All the Christmas Eve dinner, the, the you know, all, all, all <laughs> yeah, like we've been shaking the Christmas presents under the tree trying yeah. to figure out what it's going to be. And yeah, yeah. because yeah. and my grandfather was the worst about this because he'd always let us open up one Christmas present. He'd put the Christmas presents out a week before and we'd be shaking the presents and everything. <laughs> and he'd be like, you get to pick one. Pick a small one. It could be good. Pick a bad one. It could be a small one in a big box. Yeah. But it was just that anticipation. And I think that's that's 100% right, is that we're all sitting here waiting and going, oh, my gosh. Yeah, and Christmas feels like it's never going to get here. So, ah. But hopefully, yeah. So Tuesday night, uh, get this uh, get this game uh, behind Tech and the Joey <laughs> McGuire era can, can really, really, really start. And uh, we just start moving forward. But, uh, again, Texas Tech and Mississippi State. Uh, Mississippi State comes into the game 7-5. and five. 
which, you know, you can look back, that's kind of a vintage Mike Leach year, probably 7-5. and five. They're 4-4 four and four in the SEC. They did have some big wins over uh, Kentucky, who had a pretty good year. They beat A&M in College Station, and they also beat NC State. Probably their three big wins for the year. Um, they are favored. What did you say, by eight? Is that what eight, eight, and eight and a half. Eight and a half, okay. Well, Tech, uh, six and six, bowl eligible for the first time in a lot of years. So, you know, getting back to a bowl game, just good for the program overall. Uh, the game will be Tuesday night, ESPN, and it'll be at 545. So uh, a few more days to go, and then we can get on with the future. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I mean, absolutely. I think, but those looking for the game, what the key is going to be is uh, – can they somehow limit Will Rogers in that passing offense? Which sounds really almost impossible for for this defense against a Mike Leach offense. So I think there are some intriguing matchups there. I think what Tech can do offensively, we'll have to see. You know, but uh, who you know, Donovan Smith is or is it going to be Baron Morton? Is he going to step in and save the day? Uh, you know, I, there's there's some interesting storylines. It's just yeah, I think it goes back to opening that Christmas present. All right, coming up next, Pete uh, is along with the Lady Raider update for this week and tell us what the future is uh, is after a win in Canyon and then tough times in West Palm Beach, Florida. Big 12 play, of course, looming, but Pete uh, gets us all updated on that next here on the Red Raider Outfitter Rockin' Pregame on 101.1 The Beard. The Red Raider Outfitter Rockin' Pregame on 101.1 the Beard, starring News Channel 11's Pete Christie, inside the Red Raiders publisher Jarrett Johnson, the Beard sports director Sean Dillon, and host of the Rock and Free Game, Jeff Scott. Lady Raider basketball. So still a lot of optimism around the Lady Raider program with Coach Gerlich. And, uh, you know, the, they've, they've played really good at times and, and had some early leads. And But I think one of the themes of the season so far, it seems like, you know, just closing these games out is something that they're still, I guess, learning to do. Yeah, they've actually had the leads after the first quarter in nine of the ten games. And, uh, you know, the struggles came back in the Ole Miss game at West Palm Beach. Uh, they jumped out early in that one. And, uh, you know, Mississippi came back. And, uh, you know, Mississippi is 11-1 and one now. But, you know, another problem is, you know, Vivian Gray plays. She doesn't play. She's still working through an ankle injury. And uh, she didn't play in the Mississippi game. So, you know, the lead dwindled. They were up five after the first quarter. And, you know, others got to step up at this time. You know, that's what's crazy. When you have a, a great player like that, that are you know battling through injuries, just like the, the Red Raiders with uh, Terrence Shannon. Yes. You know, he's, he's you know, arguably the best player on the roster, but he keeps having just nagging injuries. And so you're like, well, do you, do you set them until they're just completely over it? But you kind of need them as well. But then you risk that just that ongoing nagging injury where they have to set out a whole half. And she and Vivian Gray, you're right, she's kind of been battling that that same kind of situation. She's right. vital to the Lady Raiders' success. But man, just getting her healthy, you know. Right, and she didn't even you know travel with the team to to Florida. But uh, also they were out uh, without Hattie Faye in the entire second half. So you know losing some important bodies, they they lost the lead and. Uh, just a you know a tough loss, but again they're playing all these tough games: Georgia and Mississippi and, and LSU, and so you know uh, it can only bode well when they get into that gauntlet of the Big Twelve. Yeah, which is uh, which is coming up, you know, and uh, that's 
that's where the Big 12, men's and women's basketball, is such, like I said, a gauntlet. It is, I mean, it is really a grind. There are no easy games, and especially winning on the road is a premium right now. And where do you, based on what you've seen so far from the Lady Raiders, you know, what, what do you feel they're, the kind of success or not that they're going to have when Big 12 rolls around? Yeah, I mean, just, you know, without Vivian Gray, you know, they're probably middle of the pack and, and, and lower of the pack. I mean, they're trying to get up there. You know, the, the Baylors are up there again. And, uh, you know, you know they've had some success against Oklahoma. So let's let's hope they can get all healthy here after this little break and, and, and kind of move forward. But, you know, I just saw a TikTok with the girls. They were real good on social media. And they said, how old are you to Lexi uh, Hightower? She's 24. And then, you know, some of these freshmen are 18. So you got a player that's six years older. And I saw them make a little funny TikTok about that, that they got a 24-year-old on the team. What, making fun of her for her age? She's over the hill at 24. <laughs> oh, to be over the hill at 24, right? Uh, Lady Raiders, some upcoming games. Uh, on the 29th, of course, they play uh, Incarnate Word. And then on January 2nd, kick off the new year, you mentioned, uh, you know, Oklahoma. So they'll be playing uh, against Oklahoma. And they've, they've kind of re-kind of building that they program are. as well with Sherry Cole, who'd been there for years, finally uh, hung it up. And uh, is it Jenny Branchek or something like that? I don't know if that's how you pronounce her name. but Sounds uh, good. Yeah, yeah uh, thank you very much, yes. Anyway, that's January 2nd, opening up Big 12 play. And then on the 5th of January, uh, they're playing Texas, which that's always a tough one. Well, and they just uh, you know had that great game last week uh, in Canyon, which was pretty cool. It was a homecoming, of course, uh, for five uh, folks with the Lady Raiders, including Krista Gerlich. I mean, she spent seven years coaching at WT, and Lexi Hightower goes back up there. So to to get to play at a UNLV team that was six and two at the time, and again, you jump out to a lead, but you hold on to it, and they won that one sixty eight sixty one, and it was really good just for West Texas girls basketball. It was a great afternoon after that game, uh, West Texas A&M played, and it was a Sunday, so to have a nice doubleheader, but it was a big win for the Lady Raiders, and some people are like, well, why are they going up there? Well, I mean, we can't do the uh, Coliseum throwback game anymore, so I, I thought it was a, a, a cool deal, and I'm sure they're going to try to do it again down the road. And UNLV had a player from uh, uh, Amarillo as well, so it was kind of a, you know, just a good uh, n- neutral site game in Amarillo for both those yeah. teams. All right. Well, uh, Lady Raiders, uh, yeah, that Big 12 play is looming. Uh, next game on the 29th gets Incarnate Word as they continue to uh, tune up for Big 12 play. So that is your Lady Raider update today on the Red Raider Outfitter Rockin' Pregame on 101.1 The Beard. The Red Raider Outfitter Rockin' Pregame on 101.1 the Beer, starring News Channel 11's Pete Christie. Inside the Red Raiders publisher, Jarrett Johnson. The Beard sports director, Sean Dillon. And host of the Rockin' Pregame, Jeff Scott. Full Court Press. Three questions, no hedging time to get your opinions on the record. It's the Full Court Press. Jeff, number four Texas Tech Red Raider baseball team went 0-3 last year versus number six, seven, and eight in the college baseball showdown in Arlington. Now, they face in Arlington again at Ranger Stadium, number 30, Michigan, number 61, Auburn, and number 22, Arizona, in the State Farm Baseball Classic. How many wins 
will they end up with? You know what? I think they're going to remember the sting of going 0-3 last time, and they, they don't like that. That's a terrible memory. I think they, uh, I think they go 2 out of 3 this time. Okay. Pete, how many Red Raiders, and name them if you can, will be in double figures during Tuesday's game versus Alabama State? Man, uh, they should really roll in that game. So I'll go, uh, and you could, man, you could go any which way. But uh, first, I'm going to go with Adonis Arms, who I've been really impressed with. Uh, you don't know if ta- how, where Terrence Shannon's going to be, um, but I'll go uh, O'Banner. Uh, I mean, there's got to be at least four. Warren, and uh, who am I missing? I mean, there's color so- maybe or. Yeah, and McCuller, for sure. There you go. Or maybe Bacho. Man, that guy's well, really I been coming I, on. I, I, I think at least... Bacho's close to a double-double. Yeah, at least right. 10 rebounds from him. But, man, that's a game they should really roll in and uh, continue to solidify the lineup. So I'll go four. Jarrett, player from the 2022 class that's going to make the biggest impact for next year and for the long term. So I want the player that has both the biggest impact for for now, immediately for the 2022 season, and the one who will be the one we will be talking about in the future. Yeah, I'll go with uh, Joseph Adedire from Mansfield Summit. He is a 6'3", 250-pound edge rusher. He's a kind of athlete that Tech just, quite frankly, doesn't get from the high school ranks, and they really don't have a lot on the roster, period. I think he plays a lot next year, and I think he could end up being an all-Big 12 caliber player. What about for the long term? I mean, I could say same answer, to be honest, but I'll go with uh, Marion Horn, four-star, uh, well, do-it-all guy from uh, Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. He might, I think he's, he's going to start at uh, cornerback or safety, but, uh, you know, he can play running back for you, too, and be one of your top running backs or a slot receiver. So the guy, and don't forget, uh, punt returner and kick returner. So Horn's going to be a player for the Red Raiders. Bonus question time, right after this signing class, transfers and additions to the coaching staff. So, the whole picture, Jeff. Okay. How many wins will the Red Raiders have during the 2022 season? And I'm trying to get positive, Jeff. I know. Out. Listen, let me just say, I am very excited with Joey McGuire yes. and the new era of tech football. I think it is going to be really, really successful. I really do. But it's hard to understand, <laughs> you know, in the year one, because, you know, they're losing a lot. But, you know, you're, and you're bringing in a lot of young high school talent and stuff. But I still think that, uh, you know, I think seven wins is, opti- is very, very optimistic. Wow. So, optimistic Jeff with so, seven. So, you know what, as of, as of today, and I'm, maybe I'm, I'm, you know, drinking Kool-Aid early on, but I do think that uh, I'm going to go with seven. Now, talk to me again uh, in August. Wow. Uh, I'm going to go six. Yeah, that dose I, of optimism was yes, pretty incredible. That is, it? Yeah. I'm, you know, that that non-conference schedule's tough. I mean, after Murray State, home against Houston at NC State, who's nine and three and playing in a bowl game this year, and then you got Texas. So, I mean, I'm going to go six and six, and you get another bowl game, and um, you know, hopefully, uh, they build off that with Joey McGuire. Yeah, I'm with six. I'm with Pete. Um, I think they'll be good, but they have a tougher schedule next year and, you know, new new staff and all that. And, of course, I'm going to have eight wins and the bowl game. So, you know, I, I knew you'd... You, you, Any you, predictions who are playing in that bowl game yet? <laughs> or, you know, do, do we win it, Sean? Look into your crystal ball. Uh, we do win it, and we're going to play Auburn. Wow, okay. Well, there you heard it first. <laughs> 
and last. <laughs> and that, my friends, is your full court press.